0: Alaikum As I pursue my own spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood, and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Subhanahu Wa along that journey. At age 16, Usad Omar Popal was an extremely homesick Mother sa student in Cambertown, South Africa. He was struggling to adjust to life at Mothersa in Naimiya, so different from his public high school and life as he knew it in Fairfax, Virginia. He found his way to the Mothersa library, where he found a mentor, Maulana Muhammad Abbas Umar, who befriended him and took him under his wing. In the same library, he found three books which awoke a thirst for knowledge within him and were his introduction into the tisawaf. After completing two years in South Africa, Ustad Umar returned to Virginia. He continued studying the Islamic sciences and completed high school as one of the first students at Mufti Yusuf bin Yaqub school, Medina tal Alum. He was looking for the next opportunity when his father heard about in Yemen. He had met someone whose daughter was studying at Dar al-Zahra, the girl's madrasa in Trim, and so he decided to send Ustad Omar and his sister to Yemen as well. Ustad Omar spent two years at Dar al-Mustafa, the boy's madrasa, including one year at a campus in Ainath. The Ainath campus was even more remote, academically rigorous, and challenging, and he was the only Westerner there at the time. Despite these challenges, he grew fond of his unique time in Ainath and refers to it as the best year of his life. After returning home, he continued his studies at Dar al-Qasim in Chicago with Sheikh Amin Kulwadia and later with Dr. Recep Sirtuk in Turkey. Usad Omar is now the founder of the Thunwir Institute in Fairfax, Virginia, where he is attending to the educational and spiritual needs of Muslims in his hometown as well as the greater DMV area. In this episode, he discusses both the struggle of adjusting while studying overseas, as well as the many distractions and difficulties that come with seeking knowledge while staying in the West. He gives heartfelt advice to students of knowledge on humility and setting priorities.
1: Alhamdulillah I was born and raised in the northern virginia area specifically an area called fairfax and yeah alhamdulillah i will you know my my parents are afghan uh both originally from uh, kandahar my mom was more born and raised in kabul so grew up in an afghan household uh speaking farsi um interestingly enough though like even though i was born afghan we had afghan customs and traditions uh never really felt super connected to my culture until later on in life. And um, I'm not sure why, because a lot of Afghans who grew up in, the, in, in, in America and even in Northern Virginia or in California or New York, they're very like culturally proud. Um, as far as spirituality or religion, I think until my early teens, uh, Dean and Islam was more culture for me i mean alhamdulillah i was raised in a household where you know my parents prayed five times a day Uh, of course you know juma and eid uh, those were very important but as far as like having uh, an intellectual foundation to the religion that definitely was not there Uh, as far as having a spiritual foundation to the religion that also was not there Uh, It was a simple like, you know, Allah exists. You ask Allah for uh, when you make dua, you pray because you have to, because you're Muslim. That's your identity. But there was nothing that was really grounding. Um, And may Allah bless my parents. I don't blame them for that. You know, they come from Afghanistan in which their identity was one of Islam. Um, So, yeah, I definitely didn't really start thinking about Islam uh, until my early teens. It's in my uh, early teens that my father decided, and this is like in middle school, that you, know, you need to start going to something called maktab. And maktab is, I think it's like an Urdu word, and it's like an after-school program where you go and recite slash memorize Quran uh, for like an hour. And it would generally be at a masjid. In my case, it started uh, not at a masjid, but at an uncle's house. And I still know this uncle. I love him very much. And i would go to this uncle's house and it'd be like three three of us, three young kids. And he would teach us how to re- recite Quran. And then uh, it ended up switching toward a smaller, like musalla, not masjid, uh, in the basement of someone's house. And essentially sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade and ninth grade, every day, Uh, I would go to school. And then after school, I would go to this one hour program. And that's when, you know, I again, didn't have any intellectual or spiritual foundation in the religion, but I did start getting connected to to the Quran. And what's interesting is looking back, there was nothing like that should have made me like this. I liked video games. I liked Mario Kart and Mario party. I liked watching movies, Um, you know, Being from a a Afghan household, didn't really get to hang out with friends much, but there was nothing that was like pushing me to like reciting, memorizing the Quran. Uh, But I did; I I didn't mind at all going to this program after school. It was a little embarrassing when I'd go to middle school or high school the next day because everyone would be talking what they did after school, and I would kind of you know hide the fact that I go to a Quran class uh, every day after school, but Uh, I did like it, and this ends up leading to something uh, much larger, which is my travel to uh, South Africa. And inshallah, we can talk about that um, as time goes by. But that's a little bit about like my upbringing. Um, Alhamdulillah, I praise Allah for it.
0: So I guess, uh, you know, with that background, um, at what point did you realize that Islam was important to you or it was something you wanted to pursue? Was it before Af- uh, South Africa, after?
1: That's a great question. At what point did I decide or, or, or realize that Islam is something I wanted to pursue? Um, the answer to that is actually in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So um, while I am in ninth grade, my father, Allah bless him, he takes a trip to South Africa for an Islamic function, and there he meets someone, a great scholar, by the name of Molana Harun Abbas And he passed away a couple of years ago during COVID. May Allah have mercy on him. His son is still alive, Molana Muhammad, uh, currently in Istanbul. And essentially, my dad um, he had met Molana Harun in Virginia when Molana Harun would come. During Ramadan, to a certain masjid here in the Springfield area. And so, when, when they met in South Africa, they got closer. And Moana Harun tells my father, You know, why don't you send your son to memorize the Quran and study Islam to one of our schools here in South Africa? And he even takes my dad on a tour of a couple of the schools, the madrasas that were there. And for my dad, this is also his first exposure and I'm his youngest child. And so I think for him, it just like, it hits him like, Oh, I got to do this. So my dad comes back and he goes, Hey, listen, you're going to South Africa. And I'm like, huh? What? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's awesome. Don't worry. Uh, And by the way, just a quick pause here. When I was in sixth grade, uh, my father wanted me to go to a madrasa in Buffalo and, uh, he actually, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're in sixth grade, you're quite young. So you really don't have a say in anything. So I was like, cool for sure. And coincidentally, the day he's supposed to drive me up, my mom packed all my bags. She cried. She went and got me a bunch of Oreos for some reason. And, um, my dad says, you know what, to my mom, why don't you come with us? She wasn't supposed to, but he just said, come with us. You know, you can see the school, we'll drop them off and we'll come back home. When my mom uh, goes with us, uh, we spend the night at a hotel and something just gets in her heart. And she tells my dad, listen, there's no way my son is leaving my house. He's too young. This is not happening. And my dad's like, but you were fine with it before. You know, I, I just wanted you to come to see the school. She's like, yeah, nope, not happening. Sorry. So fast forward again, my dad comes back from South Africa. I'm in the end of ninth grade. It's almost summer. And there are discussions about me going to South Africa. And my family, you know, is kind of like, well, if your dad thinks it's a good idea, it's a good idea. But at that point, I'm like, I'm, I'm in high school. I'm finally making a, a, a core group of friends. Um, you know, I really didn't want to. And so I gave a little pushback. But again, one of the, the, the things I'm very, very thankful to Allah for is that my parents raised me um, with a decent level of bitter walidain, of being good to your parents. And to be honest with you, uh, I, I really do think if we can give an outward cause to any good in my life, a lot of that cause is just being good to, to my parents. Uh, may Allah keep me good to my parents and may Allah make my my, my parents um, a proof for me on the day of judgment and not against me. Um, the new school year starts. I'm going to 10th grade. And it seems like, I'm going to South Africa. So September, October, I'm trying to wiggle out of it. I'm trying to tell my dad, dad, I promise you when I graduate, I'll go. Let me just finish high school. And November, I believe sixth was my last day of high school. And it's very like interesting day. Uh, Very surreal. Like everyone's saying bye to me. My teachers saying bye to me. And it's so, think about it, right? Think about being an American Muslim who's trying to also be like a popular kid, trying, right? Keyword being trying to be a popular kid in high school. And everyone's like, where are you going? And you're like, oh, I'm going to South Africa. And you can't even say to memorize Quran because that sounds you know, weird. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to, to school, a boarding school in South Africa. Um, and subhanAllah, I left for South Africa uh, with my cousin um, mashallah, uh, December 7th or December 8th. And so for that one month, I was out of school November 6th and I left for South Africa December 7th, December 8th. For that one month, I did the weirdest thing that I've never done in my life. And I was very young. I mean, I was 16, just turned 16. Um, I would wake up every morning and I would just go for like these long walks, and I'm like, dude, what am I doing? Like, because I really didn't have an interest in Islam other than just trying to pray my prayers, because I knew it was something good. Um, and it was the first time in my life that I felt emotional for a purpose that I. Couldn't identify if I ever felt emotional before. Is because I couldn't play video games. I couldn't eat the food I wanted to eat. I didn't go get to see that movie, you know. But like there was something going on that I didn't know, and it was very difficult for me. So, and keep in mind, I don't know Africa. Like I, I literally have only heard of Africa in you know uh, geography class. So I don't even know what to expect, and never traveled on my own. Uh, i mean i was with my cousin but still you know you're you're quite alone so we get to south africa and we end up in the school um, which was uh, is is called madrasa in amia and uh, the founder actually maulana madani passed away as well a couple years back may allah have mercy on him and i just remember i'm going to paint a picture for you uh the madrasa is on a far out is in a far out suburb of the city of Durban and the suburb was called Campertown and it's on it's it's located like on a mountainous area and it was raining that night. so we get there it's night it's raining you know they show us to our rooms it's six beds um, you know it's a very simple madrasa concrete floors. And I had to use the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I'm looking for a toilet. There's no toilet. There's just those floor toilets like you see in Saudi Arabia. Never had to use a floor toilet in my life. And um, I kind of just like, that was my first like breakdown moment. Like, oh no, <laughs> what is happening here? Uh, that was a difficult experience. I go to sleep that night and for the, for, uh, for, at least a month, every night this is how like emotionally difficult it was every night, uh, for about a month, you could say three weeks, when I would sleep, I would dream that I was in high school and I would go through my classes and I would listen to music, and when I would wake up, I'd be in South Africa. Um, so it, it really wasn't easy, but now to answer your question of what made me take islam seriously and realize that this is the truth this is what i want this is what i want to study uh, because also i was never good at school my, my grades were never awesome i was a bc student never academically inclined didn't know what i wanted to do with my life um, probably didn't have to i was still very young but when i'm in south africa and i begin to memorize the quran again not super interested but I don't hate it, just like before, right? Quran was always something that I was just cool with. What I started doing is that during breaks, there was a library. And I would go sit in the library by myself. And I was never a reader, ever. But with the exception of Harry Potter, um, yeah, pretty much Harry Potter at that time. With the exception of Harry Potter, never really read books. And Two things in that library changed my life. Totally changed my life. Like, absolutely changed my life. The librarian and a book that I found in that library. The librarian was none other than Maulana Muhammad Abbasumer, who was the son of Maulana Harun, the sheikh who, he was the reason why I'm in South Africa in the first place. So you think I wouldn't really like his son. But his son was so kind. And and turns out um, he is a specialist in Hadith. Uh, he's one of the foremost students of uh, a sheikh known as Sheikh Muhammad Awama, who is alive in Istanbul. May Allah preserve him and his students. Um, so he's a he's he's a he's not a joke. Like he's a big scholar, and he was only librarian because he needed to use the library for research reasons. So he just went ahead and also became librarian um so he, i would sit with him and he would like engage me like oh how are you doing what's going on how's your memorization of the quran and somehow he also began to teach me like little little a hadith from a book that i now have taught multiple times it's called Zadat Zad talibin provisions for the seekers i uh, highly recommend that book for any students of arabic or beginner students of hadith awesome book uh white thread press publications And I saw from him a conduct that I've never seen from Muslims before. And that was a scholarly conduct. It was so attractive. He was so nice. He actually cared about me. And I'd never experienced scholarship or uh, virtuous etiquettes like that before. The second thing that really changed my life was two books that I found in the library. One was a book on how to, uh, how do I explain this? Let me so let's just call it three books. And I don't want to make this very long, but it was three books. All right. The first was a little article that was published, written by a great sheikh, a sheikh who impacted me a lot. I never got to meet him and he passed away. Mawlana Yunus Patel, Allah have mercy on him. And he wrote this book, How to Stop, it uh, was either How to Stop Looking at Haram or How to, oh, oh, How to Protect Yourself from the Whisperings of the Devil, right? I had only heard the word Whisperings of the Devil in a Yusuf Ali translation, I think, of Surah Al-Nas, Qal'udha Bin nas right? mean al Swas al-Khanas. But when I read this book, it was about a topic I had never, ever heard of. And it was about tasawwuf and tazkiyah and purifying the heart and protecting yourself from shaitan, introducing topics like dhikr, introducing topics like the nafs in your lower self. So that really hit me hard because I could totally relate to this. As a young kid growing up in America, I definitely uh, you know, needed these tools. So I was like, whoa. And the second book was a book uh, called Ma'arif Mathnawi. Uh, turns out, I found that many years later, that, that book was written by the Sheikh of Moana Yunus Patel. And uh, this was just stories from the Mathnawi of Rumi. I've only heard of Rumi because I'm Afghan and he was from Afghanistan. And I knew he was a poet. I didn't even know he was Muslim. I'll be honest. like I, At that point, I'm 16. I did not know Rumi was Muslim. And it was stories that were translated into English taken from the Muthneri. Um, I don't think it's appropriate to mention the story that affected me uh, the most. So I won't mention that story right now. But the gist of the story that affected me within that book is that it was all about everything in this world is fleeting. Even the beauty that you, that you like in this world is fleeting. The joy that you take in this world is fleeting. And only Allah remains and there's a hereafter. And the way the story was translated, the way the story was written by Moana Rumi, I was like, what? Like, I've, I've never, where have these stories been my whole life? Like, what? This is Islam? And then there's a third book that I began to read in the library. Again, this is called the Divine Facilitation, Tawfiq. Uh, Don't know what I was doing in the library. Don't know how I came across these books, but everything is from Allah. The third book was a book called uh, Sharia and Tasawuf, Sacred Law and Spirituality. And it's now modernly translated as The Path to Perfection um it's also published by white thread press and this book was all about the spiritual path to god and how the sacred law uh is in a beautiful unison with the spiritual path and the spiritual path is under the commandments of the sacred law and this book introduced things like teachers it introduced things like reading Quran on a daily basis and the benefits of it. It introduced the most important thing, the praiseworthy traits of the heart that you want to adorn yourself with. And it then introduced the ill blameworthy traits of the heart that you want to purify yourself from. And I was like, what? Like, how come I've never heard this? This is amazing. And subhanallah, as divine decree would dictate, that book ended up being taught in this school every day after Asr uh, for like 10 minutes. So I ended up studying that book as well. And that book was authored by a great Sheikh, Mawlana Masihullah Khan. And uh, it was my dream to meet someone who met him, or at the very least, uh, sorry, at the highest, study with someone who studied with him because of how much his book impacted me. Lo and behold, fast forward, what, six, seven years later, I end up going to Dar al-Qasim and Sheikh Amin Khulwadia is a direct student of Mu'ala Masihullah Khan. Um, so it's at that point in that little library in Campertown, South Africa, that it clicks to my heart. I love this religion. I love Allah. I want to know the Messenger, so I them. and that didn't come till later, right? The, the, the role of Sayyidina Rasulullah didn't really come later for me. Uh, I want to embark on this journey. This journey, which according to these books, is not an easy one. Like, I got to purify my heart from some of these things that I know I have, but I really want to do this. And here's the the last thing I'll say about this. What really um, cemented this for me is I go, uh, after a couple of weeks, I go back to my room. My cousin is sitting there and he's reviewing his Quran. And I'm like, hey, I got to talk to you. And he goes, what? Uh, And I just told him everything. And he goes, so that's where you've been. And I'm like, yeah, what do you think? He goes, well, that's not new for me. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not new for you? He goes, remember I went to Yemen last summer for 40 days? I was like, yeah, I think you mentioned it. He goes, yeah, I went to a school called Dar al-Mustafa because I wanted to learn Islam, but I also wanted to learn Tasawwuf and the spiritual path in Tazkiyah. And so uh, I found it there. And I totally understand what you're talking about. And at the time, I literally just remember thinking like, oh, okay. And that was it. that was the first time I heard about al Mustafa I totally blew it off I didn't really care and um, uh, for the next seven months I was really just uh, you know in the beginning Allah really gives uh, a lot of a lot of beautiful uh, breezes and I was just basking in those breezes now don't get me wrong right? South Africa was not easy and um very cold no hot water um you know the teaching methods were not the easiest to deal with but because i had found out about this applicable spiritual side of islam i was just totally down Al-hamdulillah so you're
0: 16 you're in south africa you've kind of had this amazing discovery, um, h- how long do you stay in South Africa? Um, what brings you back to the States eventually? And, and did you know you wanted to continue studying?
1: Awesome, yeah. So I end up staying in South Africa, uh, December to July. Okay. And it's in, it's in like January, uh, end of January that I, uh, you know, I'm i reading these books and spending time with Moana and Mohammed. Um, as time gets closer, My cousin uh, decides that he wants to um, pursue Islamic studies, right? So he wants to pursue higher Islamic studies. And I have now memorized like six Juz. And in my my heart, I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back here. Even if it's by myself, I'm going to finish memorizing the Quran. So my mom, uh, of course, she wants us to visit. I want to visit home, to be honest, right? Like I want to go back home. Go back home. And it's as if I was living a dream for eight months because I totally forgotten where I came from, what America was like, what my house was like, what, you know, uh, American culture is like, that whole, you know, video games and movies and, uh, uh, you know, like I forgot all that. So it was a big wake up call. I remember first uh, we, we got back early in the morning, come home. And my mom makes this huge breakfast. And uh, I just, just can't speak for some reason. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of speechless. And looking back, I know the reason for that. The reason for that is that I spent eight months in isolation, essentially. Right? I was either memorizing Quran, listening to the teachers, or uh, reading. And so, like, socializing is not what a student of knowledge really learns to do. <laughs> um yeah. It's Ramadan. All right. So it's Ramadan. And for I decide to listen to a particular lecture of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf uh, in Ramadan, I believe so. And in that, as at Sheikh Hamza does many times, he recommends the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I'm like, well, look at me. I love reading now. Let me go get this autobiography. And um, I go get it. And I can't put this thing down. And I read and I read and I read. And uh, I still have not been able to really extrapolate or, or kind of uh, take out all the wisdoms that I found in the autobiography. And, and that's actually a good project. Uh, if someone were to create like a blog about the wisdoms that we all I'll learn from the life of Malcolm X. Uh, may Allah have mercy on him. But I finished that book and I have one. Azima, I have this, I don't know, I try, like a super strong willed intention in my heart. And that was, I got to finish high school. Like I didn't even finish 10th grade. And Islam from what I've read in the books of Wolf, from what I heard from my teachers in South Africa, and now from Malcolm X, Islam is grounded in education. Um, And it's a beautiful book, by the way, for anyone who's listening to this, uh, by Frank uh, uh, Rosenthal, I believe. Might be mispronouncing his name. Um, Oh, I'm forgetting the title right now. Uh, The Knowledge. Anyways, inshallah, it'll come back to me. The Knowledge Triumphant, I believe. And it's about how Islam uh, really honored education. Mm. Wow. Anyways, I go to my dad. and say, dad, um, I want to finish high school, but I can't go back to public school. What do you think? He goes, no, you're going back to Africa to finish the Quran. I was like, all right, dad. Well, at the very least, one of my teachers, he gave me uh, a gift to give to one of his students in Virginia. And I was like, dad, his student's name is Mufti Yusuf bin Yaqub. Do you know who this guy is? And my dad's like, yeah, I heard of him. I think he has a, I think he's opening a school in Springfield, Virginia. Uh, Let's go give him the gift. Mm -hmm. So we go and we meet Mufti Yusuf. We give him the gift. And Mufti Yusuf is like, hey, you want me to show you our school? It's opening this fall, opening in September. (laughs) And we look and it's like a little office space. And we're asking him like, hey, what's your, like, what do you want to do here? He goes, well, we're going to start a Sharia program. It's going to be six years. And for students who haven't finished high school, we're going to help them uh, homeschool through one of the online homeschool programs. And so basically from like eight to two, they would do Islamic studies. From three to six, they would do their high school uh, or their homeschool, whatever grade they're in. And I just look at my dad and I was like, I had this twinkle in my eye. I was like, dad, look, I can do both. And he goes, yeah, but what about your, your memorization of the Quran? And I was like, that's a good point. I don't know. Well, Harun Abbasumer comes back to town. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how these things happen. And my dad goes to him and goes, hey, you're the one who wanted my son to go to South Africa. My son is not talking about staying. What do you think? And he goes, well, if it's with Mufti Yusuf and if you promise to let your son focus and not distract him with other things, then go for it. And he said, I remember he said this. He said, it's very praiseworthy to be one of the first students of a school because you get to help build something that will remain forever. Uh, and he gave the example of Dar Ulum Dioband. That basically started under a tree (laughs) so we decide to now go to this school and my cousin long story short also ends up coming so we're together again and for the next uh two years uh i'm at this school and I think that answers your question about, uh, you know, why it came back and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of stuff happened in these next two years and, uh, it shapes kind of the rest of the, the journey as well.
0: Beautiful. Um, what, what was it like being the first student at a school? I mean, that must be such a unique experience.
1: Yeah. Um, what was it like being the first, uh, student at a school? I would also add, what was it like trying to study islam full time in america mm-hmm. what was it, uh, what was it like trying to study islam and finish high school at the mm-hmm. same time and um keep in mind i'm on this like spirituality mm-hmm. high still right from from the books i was reading so what was it like trying to now apply spirituality no longer in isolation mm-hmm. but rather uh in my hometown so one of the most amazing things that ha- that happens in these two years while I'm with Mufti Yusuf, may Allah preserve him and increase him. Um, I find myself excelling academically. I've never been good at school, but when it came to studying the Arabic language, when it came to grammar, morphology, I mean, I was hooked. Like I loved it and I still love it. And I don't know why, uh, nothing in my upbringing tells me that I should like this but i really did and um, the beauty of mufti yusuf is he allowed us for the whole first year to really just focus on arabic so um you know we would i remember we would wake up for tahajjud right i I tell the current and we students all the time we would wake up for tahajjud pray a quick two rakah and then start reviewing morphology and, and, and that's, you know, Mufti Yusuf also having graduated from a traditional seminary, uh, he really helped us and guided us how to be really good students. Mm-hmm. And uh, that first year, I really learned, like, what does it mean to be a traditional seeker of knowledge? And at the same time, um, the homeschool program that I was in called American School of Correspondence, Um, They basically send you the textbooks and workbooks and they say, all right, teach yourself. Uh, That's really what it is. So I'm having to teach myself uh, subjects that I didn't really know of, but I found that the stronger I was getting in my Islamic studies, the easier my uh, secular high school studies were getting for me. Because I, everything, I, every tool I learned to better myself in Islamic studies, I just applied those same tools to my high school studies. And I was able to finish 10th, 11th, and 12th grade in a little less than two years. Wow. Actually, no, exactly two years, I think so. Um, and one of the beautiful things about Mufti Yusuf is that he would always start the day by reading a book of spirituality, Tezkiah and Tesawuf so uh, that was awesome um another thing that uh because there was only a few of us uh, as like four or five students at the time uh we would uh, collectively remember allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the morning so when you start your day off with dhikr and quran um, and you do that for a whole year like you just it's it's a very powerful um tool and technique to do and uh myself you know till this very day if i don't start my morning off with some type of zikr, uh, my day doesn't really go well and the scholars would say for those for about surya Yasin, you know that uh surya fulfills the needs of the day and there's a tradition that leads back to that saying um, so we i really have a a great two years with mufti yusuf but it's in that second year that struggling against the self, seeking knowledge, it all becomes very difficult in America, having to go back home every day. When you go back home, there's laptops, there's family gatherings, right? And that that isolation I had in South Africa, that focus... I'm no longer able to have here. I had it for that first year, right? And in the second year, you know, it's it's not really there. And I'm starting to feel what's called jaffa. And you you can translate jaffa as a dryness, right? Mm-hmm. But like I'm starting to feel that that spiritual courage, that academic courage uh uh wither and I get worried and I get scared because I really want this. And Allah love bless Mufti Yusuf. You know he's helping out as as much as he can. And the thought comes to my heart that I've heard of this RIS convention in Canada. Um, what if I go there and try and speak with some of the scholars there? Let them know my situation. Maybe they can help. And I talked to my parents, and my parents are like, yeah, for sure, go ahead. Turns out though. A couple of days before I'm supposed to leave for RIS, um, for various reasons, I end up going on a jamaat e trip to New York, <laughs> and I couldn't get out of it. It was very, very emotionally difficult because I was already in a difficult place, and I thought RIS was going to be my answer. And... Um, I wasn't able to go to RIS. I go to New York on this uh, uh, Jamaat al-Tabliq. Jamaat al-Tabliq, Allah bless them, you know, brothers who go out calling people to get back on their religion. And so I go, and I remember that first night, uh, we're in a masjid in Jamaica, not, uh, Jamaica, Queens, Queens in New York. And I remember just like whole, wholeheartedly praying, Ya Allah, if I stay here in America, I don't think I'm going to be able to continue studying because it's too Like I can't keep up. I can't keep up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So please help me up. And I, I made this to dua, Right. And to summarize it, I, I, I see a super clear, super clear dream. That's like, you have to go to Yemen. And I wake up and I'm like, what? Yemen? Like, my dad, you know, uh, my mom doesn't want me to go back to South Africa. And I can't even go to Canada by myself. Like, Yemen? How am I going to go to Yemen? I totally ignore it. And this is where, uh, again, divine intervention and Allah's absolute follow and his total mercy. And you know when you when you hear narrations, hadith narrations that say, "Man salaka jannah," or "Salaka Allahu Whoever travels a path, you know, seeking knowledge, Allah makes the path to paradise easy for them. The fish in the ocean and 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 the objects they pray for the one who's seeking a path, taking knowledge. Um, I go back home. And my dad says, how was your trip? I said, oh, it was good. You know, alhamdulillah. I'm still sad. I didn't get to go to Canada. RIS. And my dad, said, my dad looks at my sister and goes, hey, you want to take your dean seriously? My sister goes, yeah, of course. And I kid you not, my dad right away says, I'm sending you and your brother to Tarim, Yemen. Wow. To a school there called Dar al Mustafa and Dar Zahra because that's where you're going to take your dean seriously. And my jaw, my jaw just drops. I'm like, what? And I, I just look at my dad and I'm like, how? And he goes, well, I met a guy at the masjid and he was wearing this like Yemeni garb and he told me that um, he told me that my da- his daughter is studying in daughter Zahra, and that I should send my daughter as well. Um, but I don't want to send your sister by herself, so you have to go with her. <laughs> and yeah, I mean it's it's it it, it was really just um, humbling, so humbling. And there were three times before we left to Yemen that. Um, it seemed like it just wasn't going to happen, And every time something similar happened to where it was like, "Nope, this is what you have to do." Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't easy leaving Mufti Yusuf, you know, being the first students in that school. Um, it, it, it was It was quite difficult, but it just felt in my heart right, and you know. Imam al Ghazali says that the only time a student should travel in the pursuit of knowledge is once they've exhausted their local, uh, their local um, options. Mm. And I felt myself at that point, that even though I could definitely have continued with Mufti Yusuf, um, I just, uh, I felt that I personally wouldn't have been able to given my surroundings. So yeah, then Tadim. MashaAllah.
0: like it's crazy how that um, just kind of came together. Like I mean, you had this dream, and it just you know, yeah. um when you when you get to three, first of all, I guess how was the journey to three? I know often sometimes it's difficult to get there, and and then when you get there, um, is it difficult to adjust? Um, do you feel like you were prepared because you had been in South Africa, or was it a whole different ball game?
1: awesome yeah that's a great question uh i just want to put a caveat out there for anyone who, who who might end up listening to this uh my intention in sharing any of this is uh just to let people know that allah will always take care of you none of this is from me you can hear from the stories it's not i've done nothing it's all from allah and um there's nothing special about me and um you know uh, uh I'm an immensely flawed individual, so I hope no one takes this in the wrong way Like uh, I'm trying to show off. I actually, uh, this morning, was even thinking of maybe uh, not doing this podcast just in case uh, anything might come. But I think there's a benefit in, in sharing these stories. So the journey to uh, Tarim was interesting because it's in Hadar al which is a desert valley. and um, you know, we, I remember myself, my cousin, my sister, we went to, uh, uh, Russia first. We stopped in Russia at the airport. That was an interesting experience. And then, um, we went to Sayun, which is a small city, about 25 minutes, uh, before Tarim. And I just remember the landing of that plane. My sister, Allah bless her, she was really terrified because it, you know, the plane, like it, I don't know why but it was it was as if when you looked out the windows like a movie like you're flying through these mountains and like and um we finally land and so i'm sure if you were to ask my sister she would tell you differently but i was i was just um i was alhamdulillah very 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 calm and um you know even when we get to the airport and the bus picks us up um, the second we get into tarim the second we get to dar mustafa uh the weirdest like i i just i i it just hits my heart like I'm home. this is, and again, I don't really know the teachers I've only heard of them um one of them visited you know right uh, uh before we left uh, I know Sheikh Yahya wrote us quite well, and that is a whole different story um you know, and he really impacted me um um a a lot again in his conduct and what he spoke about and how he spoke about it um you know and i'm just going to be a little vulnerable here because i think i think something like this is really important to say um i remember like he was the first person outside of my parents actually i should say outside of my mother like he was the first person that i thought like i want to tell this person i love them and I didn't even really know him like personally like that, but it just goes to show you that what, what conduct and what good intentions and what smiling and what prophetic uh, uh, uh character can do to, to a person. I remember I actually went up to him and I was like, I just want to tell you something. He goes, yeah, what's up. I was like, I love you. And he goes, the feelings mutual. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a third time seeing him. Um, but so, yeah, so, so, you know, I, I've heard of him, but Darul Mustafa um, is a school that is grounded in three principles, knowledge, uh, uh, practice, meaning tazkiyah, purification of the heart, and da'wah, which is spreading Islam, outreach, calling others to Allah. And given my tablighi background, I'm very familiar with da'wah. Given my Mufti Yusuf, South Africa background, I'm very familiar with knowledge and given the books that I had read in South Africa and continue to read in, uh, back in America, I am somewhat familiar, or, or not familiar, but I'm very inclined toward purification of the heart. So it's like everything just clicks, clicks, clicks. The one thing that doesn't click is that everyone's speaking Arabic. And I've only learned to read Arabic and understand it with a dictionary. So I remember for the first two and a half months, I would attend classes and, um, I would record the class. Right. And then in the nighttime, I would, I would listen to the recording and I would almost write down basically everything the teacher is saying that I can make out. I would write it down and then I would read it and translate it with a Hans Ware, and that was just to understand one lesson that I was taking. Um, cause it was so difficult. Like I, I, I just, it's and 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 almost and everyone speaks fuzhar. they they don't speak like a certain dialect they speak classical arabic but i i'd never been exposed to, to arabic speech um or listening so it took me about two and a half months of a, a lot of hard work and and um about i remember uh i don't remember the date but i remember the class i was in uh where i was in class two and a half months later. And I'm listening to the class and the class finishes. And I just am like, wow, I actually understood that. I get it. And so um, something really cool happens. Darul Mustafa, and it still is like this, is divided into a 10-year program. And the first year is called Ibtidaiya, uh, which means the beginning year. And you go through all of the foundational texts. That course is offered at Da'al Mustafa, but it's also offered at one of Dal Mustafa's branches. Uh, there are various branches located throughout very small cities, even villages. Um, and it's beneficial for, for, for students to go in their first year to go to a branch so that they can focus, number one, and also that they'll be forced, if you're Western, you'll be forced to speak Arabic because there won't be any other Westerners you can speak English to and there won't be translation opportunities. So I don't know why. I don't know what compels me. I don't know what gets over me. But I go to the principal of the school and I say, Hey, um, I am registered in the first year program at Da'ar al-Mustafa. But I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about going to a branch? And he goes, oh, you got to go to a branch. You're going done. And yeah. I was like, whoa, wait a second. My sister is at the sister school, daughter Zahra. So I can't go. I have to be here so I can visit her weekly. And the principal goes, no, don't worry. I'll write you a permission slip. You can come back and visit her every Thursday. Yeah. And I was like, What? <laughs> but I don't want to leave the. I don't want to leave that Mustafa. Like I'm finally, I'm so happy. Like I love it here. And he goes, he goes. There are blessings at at this particular branch, which was the branch in a small city called Inat. Uh, there are blessings there you won't find elsewhere. So go. It's it's best for you. And uh, the way al Mustafa is set up is that uh, similar to South Africa in that you know there's a boarding. There's six people to a room, sometimes four, four to six people to a room. Rooms are large. They have air conditioners, uh, big cafeteria. Um, There are shops nearby where you can go and buy stuff that, you know, if you're a Westerner, you know, you can uh, afford. And um, it's much more, you know, easier for Americans. I get to Inat. Inat is a small school uh the, the branch is quite small it's not as nowhere near as large as a Mustafa it's connected to a masjid um, actually I shouldn't say that it, it, it there's a masjid inside of it but it, it, the whole thing is a school and they show me my room one of the coolest things by the way about Da'al Mustafa and its branches is that in the boarding all of the rooms are named they have specific names and it's like it's just cute you know like this is the Ghurfatul Hijra, the, the, the room of Hijra. This is غرفة, uh, um, you know, uh Taqwa. This is the room of Taqwa. That's the, that's the name of your room. And so they're like, oh, this is your room. And above the door, it said Ghurfatul Fath, the door of opening. Mm. Um, uh, sorry, the room of openings. I open it. I kid you not. It is the size of my body. Like it is exactly probably if it's probably like 6.1 feet. Uh the the width is like it can fit me in a couple books, right? And the roof is tall, so it's a tall roof, but other than that, it feels like a grave. And the way that this this school is designed is that everyone gets their own room, and in every room is just it fits one person. That's it. And that year at Anat, um I, I tell my wife this all the time um uh, it was the best year of my life mm. like i i um uh it's, it's hard to it's hard to explain um emotionally i can talk about the activities i did there but um, it was just really, really, really beautiful from an academic view, from a spirituality view, because people um, people tend to forget. I, sh- I shouldn't say it like that, but uh, rather I- I'll say it's really one of the conditions of seeking knowledge and purification of the heart. One of the principles and conditions is that there, there shouldn't be so much social interaction. There should be a lot of devotion, a lot of studying, a lot of reviewing, a lot of per- per- personal struggle against the lower self, but not a lot of interaction with others. Um, and I was recently reading an article, by the way, that said, you know, if you really want to get something done, turn off notifications on your phone um, because they will distract you and they'll make you think some, that, you know, there you have other priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, alhamdulillah. I mean, I mean, it's really, really uh, a great experience. And I was still connected to Dato Mustafa because I'll go back and visit every Thursday. Um, and you know, I, I I I'll say a story here. There were no Westerners at this branch, so it was, re- it was just me, era uh, some uh, Yemenis and Indonesians and Malaysians. So we're all speaking Arabic. And after a while, you know, you kind of miss speaking English a little bit. And um, this brother from England came. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, finally, there's a guy from England. We're going to speak English. Yes. Awesome. And I remember I ran up to him and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? speaking English. And he just looks at me and he goes, I don't want to speak English here. And I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, okay. Um, Well, maybe after class. He goes, no. I was like, oh, okay. Um, And this brother was only with us for a couple months. You know, he just came for a little bit. I've never seen the amount of dedication he had in any student of knowledge throughout any of my studies, anywhere I went. He was what I call kharik al-ada. He was just like a miracle. Anything we learned in class, my man was applying it that night any dua and anything. I mean, he was on his game and he was focused and he was resilient and he wouldn't socialize. And he was, he was just like this archetype student of knowledge. And it's not easy to be like that because you know, the, the, the lower self, it wants to socialize. It wants to take a break. It wants to eat good food, but he was just awesome. And um, I remember thinking like, like, where'd he come from anyways the the story is he he ends up having to go back and he was a nurse by profession he goes back and a couple months later we get word that he actually went to a certain country um uh, to volunteer at the hospital and unfortunately the hospital got attacked and he passed away and i was just like he was young he was 22 23 and archetype e- exemplar student of knowledge, and was given, you know, a beautiful ending like that. Um, Allah places on this earth certain individuals that it's not about their age, it's not about their wisdom, it's not about what they've studied. They're just special, and 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 we don't know who they are, so we should treat everyone as special, and we can learn so much from everyone. Um, you know, my teacher. We had two teachers at this branch, other in dal Mustafa, you have like fifteen teachers right? because there's so many teachers there, but at this branch, we had two teachers um, and one of them lived with us, the other would come every day. The one who lived with us i, I I'm not like exaggerating. Um, his background was one that he could barely afford soap to uh wash his clothes. And he was a teacher, but he was almost as almost like big brother as well. And we would just sit sometimes in the evening and just talk about, you know, previous scholars of the past and talk about purification of the hardened difficulties and talk about uh uh, stories of the righteous and talk about knowledge and and just having the suhbah and the companionship of someone like that. Uh, it really shaped me and it shaped how I teach as well, because he was so informal and then in class, he was very formal, right? So you saw this like, okay, so class is a time of being formal and outside of class, there's more flexibility. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, I learned a lot from him. May Allah bless him and preserve him. Um, and so I spend one, I, I spend that year and I spent another year at Dar Mustafa not in a branch, but in the school itself. And, you know, there's so much to say. Um, But it was, it was awesome. Two years, Alhamdulillah, in in the city of Tarim and Ainat.
0: So you had two years in Dara Mustafa. Um, What was kind of your mindset coming back? And, And I mean, was it hard to leave?
1: Yeah. Um, I remember the first week I was there, uh, I told some brothers in a taxi that I am staying here for 10 years and I'm never leaving and I'm gonna finish the whole program. And a couple of brothers uh, start laughing and they were like, you're just saying that because you're not married. Wait till you get married. Wait till your family calls you. There's no way you're gonna stay here for 10 years, no way. And I remember Sheikh yeah, Yahya was in that taxi. He just looks at them. He gets like upset. He goes, no, you know, if he has the intention, let him make the intention. Uh, that never changed for me. That that intention never changed once, ever. Like, I I don't know. Something about Tadeem. And I know uh, there are some people who might find fault with that. Like, your, your people back in America, your family's back in America. You know, that's where you belong. But, um, you know, don't don't get mad at me, get mad at my heart. Like I just, I fell in love with that place uh, and I still am in love with that place. And that's where I feel most at home. Uh, it's like when you go to Medina, everyone loves it and feels at home, right? Um, but my mom calls and Allah bless her. And she asked me to come home for various reasons. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go to the principal and tell him, so I kept trying to dodge it. And there was a particular reason why I ended up going to him. And I told him that my mother has called, you know, what can we do to stop this? And he goes, if your mother called, your mother has called, you know, and he asked me, what have you studied, you know, here and and before like, like, what level are you at? You know, what have you done in this subject? What have you done in that subject? And, and, um, he, he gives me some various advices and, i go home i'm not thinking that i'm going home for good i think i'm going home for a bit help out come back mm-hmm. um you know so for like, like you know, when you read the sirah uh, most sirah books would name the ch- the chapter where uh khadijah passes away عنها, abu talib passes away and uh the, the, the event of thought if happens and the Prophet wasalam, goes through what he goes through. It's called the year of sadness. So I would say for me, this is kind of like my year of sadness, where I go back home, I realize going back to Tareem is not really an option. And Tareem, uh, Yemen also starts to get difficult for in a political climate, and my mother is scared for me to go back. You know, uh, I have to work for a bit and I am trying everything I can to keep on studying, keep on studying. And so I try and go uh, join Mufti Yusuf uh, for some classes uh, while balancing work. I begin teaching Arabic with a local institute uh, to try and, you know, just keep me in that realm of seeking knowledge. Uh, The number one thing that is very difficult for me is working on my lower self and purifying my heart and finding good company uh very very difficult and i just feel like a stranger um but there's this this push in my heart like no you have to continue and the problem i mean you probably know this very well the problem is at this point i've studied what five years so everyone's already trying to call me (laughs) sheikh and put me in some imam position, and put me in some teaching position. And I'm like, no. These last five years have taught me one thing, and that is there is a standard to the word sheikh, and I'm not going to give in to that standard, right? I, to, to, to the American standard. I'm not going to give into it. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, look, you've studied four or five years, right? You're qualified to do X, Y, and Z. No, no, right? Because my teachers, uh, one of them, for example, you know, He's been on the fatwa committee for 25 years, and he has still not been given the position of mufti, right? So I, I'm just, I'm not going to give into it. And uh, that was there, and, and the need to continue was there. And um, it, it was very difficult. Um, but alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, through various ways, uh, opportunity opened up. Uh, at Dar Mm al-Qasim now people always ask me how did you find that about Dar Mm al-Qasim and I say Google (laughs) because I was offered a uh, I was offered uh, a position to teach in Chicago Arabic uh, throughout Chicago and um, I thought to myself well I'm only going to take this because I I talked to my mom my mom said I'll let you study but you can only study in America you can't study outside so okay mom so I Googled Islamic schools in Chicago and Al Qasim pops up and there's a traditional syllabus of books and texts and subjects that every student of knowledge knows about. Mm-hmm. So I knew what level I was. I knew what books I wanted to finish. I knew what books I needed to study. And turns out three of those books were being offered at al Qasim that I could test into. Mm-hmm. And that would be their uh, final year of their bachelor's degree. Um, so we go uh, um uh, and we visit sheikh amin at dar al qasim and like 20 minutes into this i'm like huh like what like he just he he blew me away in 20 minutes with the uh, level of sophistication that he spoke about regarding the islamic sciences and I, I was sold. I was done. That's this where I'm going. You know, if I can't go to Tarim, I'm going here. And the year at Dar al Qasim and teaching in Chicago was very difficult. I was teaching uh, 40 hours a week and I was studying full time. Um, I learned so much from this one year. Not only academically at Dar al Qasim, you know, where I'm studying uh, subjects that I've studied before, but I'm studying them in a very different light, in a very academic light, also in a uh, in a manner that shows the real depth of our tradition. You know, in Tadim, I was again studying these same subjects, but um, maybe because it was in Arabic, maybe because I was still an early student, I did, I couldn't really understand them to the level I understand them now. So when we're you know I my, and this is very funny. I just I remember learning about ontology and it just like it 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 it, it made me feel like it was the first time I was learning about so I was like oh my goodness like you know in our in our religion speaks about these things and you know we have all uh, uh, we have a whole tradition of kalam and philosophy and and um you know studying hadith with Maulana Bilal Ansari uh, was just a pure delight because you're studying hadith with someone who loves hadith and um, it was, and then, and then, you know, getting to be, uh, have sessions with Sheikh Amin and honest, he just was so giving with his time and talk to him about things I've, I've been thinking about throughout the past five years and shaping the way I understand Islam. At the same time, you know, uh, I was able to spend time in Chicago with Dr. amr Farouk Abdullah and study with him. And he shaped the way I think, he shaped the way I see Islamic studies, uh, teaching uh, six classes a week, or if not seven classes a week, uh, in Arabic gave me an exposure to the Muslim community uh, that I, I didn't really have before. And one of the number one things I realized it's like there's so many people want to study Arabic. Most of these people don't know their faradain. They don't know their obligations. They don't know their basic knowledge. And that really stuck with me. Um, so the the year at Dar al Qasim, the year in Chicago, uh, you know. Very little sleep, uh, a lot of work, but it was like a remedy to that very difficult year I had where I couldn't go back to Tereem. Um, so I guess that summarizes my mindset coming back from Tareem as well as what I ended up doing.
0: Mm-hmm. you You've kind of touched on this throughout your your story, but can you just kind of talk? about some of the teachers and people that you cross paths with that had um, an impact on you you know being in their presence and, and learning from them
1: so if you want me to talk about the teachers who had an impact on me um how many parts is this podcast going to be <laughs> um, because you know i i told someone the other day we're at the maqas at graduation and, um, I, I, I can say this shot a may Allah accept it from me, but like the most honorable, uh, title, if I could be given and the most honorable activity and experience that I, that I've ever done and continue to do is to be a student. I love, I love, I love being a student specifically, not because the knowledge, specifically because as a student you get to be with teachers. And the Prophet ﷺ told us, I was only sent as a teacher. And Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib tells us, people are three, either they're teachers, they're students, or they're lovers of both. And um, if, if, if I could, you know, if I could summarize my entire journey, right, it would just be, I, I was blessed to meet righteous people. Like, it's not the knowledge that affected me the most. It's not the knowledge that made me want to better myself. It's, it's the people, and it's the people who wrote that knowledge. I believe it's from them. It's not necessarily what they were saying. It's, it's the pure hearts that it came from. And, you know, even after Dal Qasim, um, I went to Turkey because I wanted to continue meeting these and spending time with these amazing people. So, um, you know, I'll try and summarize it to my best of my ability, but in South Africa, there were individuals, I already mentioned one of them on Muhammad who impacted me greatly, uh, you know, almost like my first teacher in Hadith, my first mentor. um, But we also had uh, other teachers there I remember there's a teacher, he's still alive, Moana Ibrahim, uh, Moana Ibrahim Maiman? No, 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 Moana Ibrahim, I uh, forgot his last name, but uh, gentle, gentle soul. And uh, I would sit, again, I don't know why, I wouldn't spend time with students, I would sit with teachers, even though I had, knew nothing about anything. Uh, but it just happened that way. And I remember uh, something happened to him, that shook me to my core i'd never seen this his son who was um had special needs couldn't walk was always on a wheelchair uh passed away suddenly passed away suddenly at nighttime and in that very same night they washed him and buried him because you can do that in south africa and that's something i hope you know that as Muslims, we're able to do is we, you know, get buried right away, not be locked in a freezer or something like that. May Allah protect us. Um, but the next morning, this guy, he was in class. And I remember I was like, his, like his son just passed away out of nowhere. It it, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, shocking. Like it was something that just happened. And the next morning he's in class. And so me being, I guess, young and naive and not having wisdom, I went up to him and was like, I'm sorry for your loss. Why are you in class? And his answer was basically something like, you know, where else would I be? This is life. And this is what I love doing. And it really, really shook me. And, um, so, uh, you know, my, my, my Quran teacher, his name was, um, Ridwan. And, um, he was young, you know, he was young, um, maybe in his early twenties, but it was just awesome to experience that Hiv culture. You know, every, every, uh, country has like a Hiv, every Muslim country has like a Hiv culture, uh, or community, I should say has a Hiv culture. And so being a part of that Hiv culture was really nice. And, um, In America, of course, you know, Mufti Yusuf, may Allah bless him, preserve him. He uh, really taught us what seeking knowledge was and loving scholars, loving scholarship, right? Um, um, You know, my cousin, may Allah bless him, he had a heavy impact on me. He's uh, older than me and uh, always kind of uh, mutual encouragement you know, having a friend on the path is a big, big blessing, not everyone gets that. And even if it might not be for the entire path, even for a part of it, it's a big, big blessing. Um, I mean, in Yemen, every single teacher I had, I could tell you so many things about them, but just their just their scrupulousness, their piety, their need for very little. um, They're constantly being happy. Like, I, I, I don't remember in Yemen seeing any of my teachers sad. They're just always happy, cheery, in a good mood, you know. And, and for all we know, they could be very sad. Inside, something ha- might have happened to them, right? But outside, you cannot tell. And their love for the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam is, you know, you, you cannot be there and, and not love the Prophet and, and the Dar al Muzafa, you know, and the city of Tadim, sorry, the city of Tanim is known for its progeny of uh, uh, the children of uh, Sayyidina Hussein, going back to the Prophet said them um, their reliance on Allah, I mean, there's just so, so much there. But of course, you know, I mentioned Sheikh Amin, Khulwadia, uh, Dr. arma Faruq Abdallah. you know, all my teachers at Dar al-Qasim, who some of them were even young, but again, um, very academically stout and, and um, you know, Turkey was just, I was very blessed to spend uh, every single day uh, for multiple hours with my teacher in fiqh, Sheikh Khaled Kharsa. And if in Daru Qasim I understood, you know, the subcontinent uh, study of islam and in yemen i understood the yemeni understanding of islam shaykh halid really taught me right the syrian uh uh way of studying islam and the syrian uh uh educational tradition and without a, without a doubt every single day i would knock on his door right i would knock on his door he would open the door he'd give me a hug big smile and uh, he would call his wife um uh, sahib right uh, where's the where's the food for the guest? and he, you know it was like he would bring me an apple and as he was teaching me he would slice the apple for me and he would feed it to me or he would you know uh make tea and he would put the sugar while he was teaching like it was just this beautiful beautiful character and this immense amount of knowledge and humility man real real humility um that 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 you know, Sheikh Nader Abu Amr was another scholar from Syria that I studied with in Turkey. Dr. Hamza Bakri, you know, to this day, like, I'm just, Dr. Hamza Bakri is like just Khariq Ada, mashallah. He is, he is a master of so many subjects, very humble, and an amazing ability to teach. Uh, Dr. Mahmoud Masri uh, was another teacher of mine in Turkey, and, you know, uh, just makes you cry. Um, you could be studying something academic with him and he'd make it, like, he's just an amazing soul. Um, you know, in America, uh, uh, Sheikh Faisal Matadar, someone I got to study with on and off uh, throughout my return trips to Virginia. Sheikh Faisal is another one of those individuals who I know he wouldn't like me talking about him, so I won't say much, but really impacted me in how um, to just be a better student of knowledge. Um, and I don't know if this is what you wanted, but it's very difficult for me to speak about one teacher and not ramble for like hours. Uh, it's just, you know, may Allah accept that love. I hope it's real. I pray it's real. Um, and um, I love them. I love them with all my heart. And uh, they say your fathers are three, right? The one who gives birth, the one who, you know, is biologically your father. Uh, the the father of your wife and then the one who teaches you and I really feel like they're all my fathers um, you know and there are others Mona Hamza Makbul, may Allah bless him that spend time with him in Chicago and uh, you know Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah
0: thank you thank you for sharing that um, just to backtrack a little uh, so, sorry I forgot about Turkey um, how did you end up in Turkey because I thought you weren't supposed to leave America
1: oh yeah i tried skipping that um so after we graduated from dar al-qasim my intention was to stay for their master's program but i had this like lingering feeling in my heart that uh this might I, their master's program is three years and i i probably only have one year left of full-time study before my mother would want me to come back home mm. and so uh, i went to visit and my mom uh, lo and behold says all right you're not leaving and i was like mom <laughs> just give me a, just give me a year she goes no you're not leaving you've been gone so many years i didn't get to see you grow up like you're staying and i was like mom like just please give me a year and she goes fine you have a year and i um in my mind right it's all about making it back to yemen how can i get back to the and um my mom said nope no yemen i said okay no yemen so I, I made a uh, shura uh, with a, a teacher uh, and let them know that there are opportunities to advance uh, in specific areas, such as in Turkey. And there was also this one month program called Adab. Um It was run by a, a school called Adep, And I remember it's a sister, Sheikha Maryam Shaybani, um, she told me about this program, so I said, "Well, you know what? It's a one-month program. Uh, let's go. And if I like Turkey, I'll stay. You know, my teachers are advising me to stay there anyways. Let's go." So we do this program, and it's uh, overseen. It's uh, the overseer is Dr. Rajab Shenturk, who is now part of Ibn Khaldun University, and he also taught, you know, introduced us to this Turkish Ottoman tradition of study. And I was lucky in Dar al-Qasim that I got to study um, Kalam with a a, a Turkish teacher and professor. Uh, So I was kind of aware of it, but Dr. Raja opened that up more. And then Turkey just had at that time, especially it was, you know, now there are a lot of students of knowledge in Turkey, and I'm so happy for that. But when I was there, it, it, it was like the beginning because the Syrians had just come. So there was this culture brewing uh, of seeking knowledge and um you know the one month program finished and my mom said i could stay so i had saved up a little bit of uh, money and um I, I, allah worked it out to where i found a place to stay and um i remember everyone was telling me i won't be able to find private classes but you know allah worked it out and i was able to have private classes and um It was a very good year for me academically, and it was a good year for me culturally. I will say this though, Uh, spiritually, uh, when you're on your own, you're not part of a program that promotes purification of your heart, right? Uh, You're not, the, the, the only sohba you have is during class. That's very difficult um and so i highly recommend to students that if they want to study traditionally and they're going to live by themselves uh do it later on don't do it um in the beginning because many people have done that and they've fallen Mm -hmm. you know uh the shaitan gets the, the sheep when he's alone the wolf gets the sheep when they're alone so I was toward, uh, you know, the end of my studies, uh, and it it, it wasn't easy, but it also wasn't super difficult, but, um, I'm much more in favor of people enrolling into seminaries and having the companionship of their teachers and then of their classmates uh, as well. So, um, I end up having a, uh, kidney stone procedure, um, about six, seven months in, and uh, end up uh, leaving Turkey after that. Shortly after that, and uh, yeah, and then starts the, then starts the whole another part of the journey, which is, which is, teaching and trying to spread Islam in the context that we live in, and that is a whole different you know ball game. But luckily, that's not part of this podcast. Alhamdulillah.
0: Um, well, I mean, can you, can you talk a little bit about the Weir Institute? Um, I guess at least just how it started and, and sort of the vision for it.
1: Sure, sure. So, uh, when I got back, I had a very strong intention to not do my own thing. I wanted to work with local institutes and that, and, and I did, alhamdulillah. but what I realized is that in the entirety of Northern Virginia, there was no public classes for Fardain. Right, basic belief, basic Mm -hmm. fiqh, basic spirituality, and uh, because that needs to be taught as like a course, like that's that's an obligation upon everyone, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just not being taught. You know, you have the tafsir halakah, you have the uh, uh, you know Islam and modernity one-off sessions, Islam and gender one-off sessions, and all that is very important, right? But there's no fardain being offered, Mm -hmm. so um you know talk to one of my teachers and he says uh, you have to do this and um he called it tanweer he named it tanweer mm-hmm. and that's where tanweer was born as a Fardayan program and it also ended up becoming a weekly public dhikr mm-hmm. you know unfortunately uh doing dhikr even though it's highly emphasized by the quran by the sunnah uh, it's still seen as like a very personal devotion mm-hmm. that you should do p- privately by yourselves. And as I just mentioned, right, when you're by yourself, it's not easy to do, always do acts of worship. So we get together with the community and we do it. And so Tanweer began as a Farda Ayan program along with a weekly dhikr, where we just read the du'as of the evening. Um, and it has now evolved into also including Arabic, um, you know, also trying to include brotherhood, and working on trying to include sisterhood uh hopefully later on is trying to trying to trying to figure out right how to um tanweer is 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 just a vehicle for us to provide programming that helps people live islam in the context we live in Mm -hmm. um and it's not easy it's it's is difficult. And one of the things that I've learned through Ten Weir is like, we have to give people a break. Like, it is not easy. If you are raised by this culture and this system, right, then, yeah, most people are going to graduate thinking, all I have to do is make money and try and, and have people like me. Right. And Islam is not a priority. Myself. I myself. Right. When I was in high school, that's all I cared about. And so, getting someone from that point to a point of where Allah is the most uh, precious thing to them, the Rasul Sallallahu is their number one role model. You know, um, I asked a question recently, and like so many people have have been have have been bringing this up to me. I just said, you know, who's your living role model? How many Muslims have living role models, right? And then among those role models, how many are actually good for you and good for your Akhirah? Right. Uh, so that's that's, you know, that's that's what Tanweer is. And uh, Allah blessed me to also work with Maqasid um, and teach in their Arabic program. So that's really nice and good company there. Alhamdulillah. I teach virtually. Um, Alhamdulillah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I have one more question. Inshallah, we'll close with this. You know, you spoke about, uh, you know, early on in life, kind of the difficulties of, of studying, um, being a student of knowledge in, in America. Um, Have you sort of thought about with the Nwere Institute some ways um, that you can teach students in America and kind of ease that burden?
1: Yeah. Um, So it's a great question. What I will say is every Muslim, no matter where you are, whether it's America, wherever it may be, right? you need to have a basic study of your faith in regards to what you believe in, how you practice, and how to purify your heart. Everyone needs that, right? And that should come before everything and anything. Once you've achieved that, right, then what every Muslim should focus on is just like reading their Quran on a daily basis. And community should provide platforms for people adults not just kids adults to better their quran reading you know every masjid should have a tafsir program and then like a general ilm program it could be hadith it could be whatever tasawwuf right uh my point is as a general muslim get your Fardain, get your obligations and then just focus on your iman boosters and quran right um if you want to become a student of knowledge you want to right then you have to do arabic you have to study arabic this like modern notion of i'm gonna be a master of islamic studies and not know arabic it's so creepy like i don't understand how anyone could think they could master islamic studies without arabic and you know uh the biggest innovation i've ever heard of but um so you're gonna have to spend time with arabic So what I always tell people is, like, if you want to become a scholar, right, organize your life in a way where you can take time off, right, years, and just do it right. Whether it's through Zaytuna College, whether it's through a seminary in America, or whether it's overseas, just do it right. But if you don't want to become a scholar and you just want to be like a righteous Muslim, right, get your fardain have your daily you know your 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 weekly dosage of ilm your weekly dosage of dhikr right and um, that's it and if and if you're trying to be that middle ground right to where you don't want a scholarship but you want to be very informed about your religion then that's where like a tanweer comes in where we give you your foundations we give you above your foundations as well And then we tell you, hey, if you want more than this, you got to study Arabic. And Arabic, my friend, is going to take, you know, a 10-hour commitment from you, right? If you're doing a three-hour Arabic class, you better bet you're going to need six to seven hours a week of review on your part, right? People like to blame programs and teachers for not giving them Arabic. Uh, Most students need to realize uh, Arabic is 30% on the teacher, 70% on the student. Um, uh, in the beginning at the very least, right. A lot of memorization. So, um, that's what I recommend to people living in, 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 especially in America. But, um, a separate advice would be for those right now who are maybe at Qalam or at Zaytuna, or they are right at a, a, a daughter or they're in an Islamic seminary and they're studying Islam in America, uh. You have to go against the tide. Do not worry about social media. Please get off Twitter, get off Instagram, right? Don't worry about da'wah. It's a trick of shaitan to make you worry about calling others to Islam while you're studying full-time. No, that is not your job. Your job is to master Arabic, to understand our tradition, and to use those tools when you graduate to then help people and continue helping yourself, right? It's the most dangerous thing is for a student of knowledge. Once they graduate to stop studying, it's so scary. And that's my advice to all, uh, you know, get off social media. It's not the time for it. It's difficult enough studying in America. So, you know, don't have these other factors distracting you. This religion, uh, the study of it takes a lot of uh, sacrifice and it's only a few years. Right? It's only a few. It, what are you going to, how long can your seminary program be? Six years, at the most, seven years, right? So uh, that, that's my little rant and tangent. Forgive me for that.
0: Well, thank, thank you so much for that advice. Jazakallah uh, khair for, for speaking about your journey and telling us all these stories. Um, thank you for having me. Jazakallah
1: yeah. khair. Suri al-manazil Muhammad.